Well, great. Well, it's great to have Steve, Steve Harris with us. And lots of people, when they say Steve, Steve Harris, yes. lots of like, oh, I know Steve Harris. So, and it's uh, not me. <laughs> so OAC, Open Air Campaigner, Steve Harris. Some of you will know him. He has preached here a number of times before, I think. We're not related. And some of you might know my brother, Jonathan Harris, works with uh, OM, Operation Mobilization, but here in Wales, his wife, Amy. So I'm the other Steve Harris, the other old version of Steve Harris. Be better look, best looking Steve Harris? <laughs> better looking, definitely. I would say, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, so tell us a little about, about yourself and your family, mate. Okay, uh, married with one wife, good start. Uh, who is in Ireland this weekend. Uh, she's from Dublin and she's visiting her mum. She's a teacher, special needs teacher. Uh, I've got two grown-up children, both of them married. Uh, one lives in Barry, and I'm going to see them later on at my parents' house. They live in Woodchurch. Um, and my daughter, who's married, lives in London. And so that's my family. And I've got two grandchildren from my son so, uh, and his wife. Great. And you, you know some people here from the, your car, Cardiff. They used to live in Cardiff, but now we're over yeah. in Caerphilly. Yeah, so a lot of my life I was connected with City Church, previously known as City Temple. Uh, I grew up in that church, um, and uh, then when I went into ministry, I stayed in the Cardiff area, basically, so I ran a church for six years in St. Mellon's uh, in the Beacon Centre. That was an interesting challenge. It was great fun, a lots of the time, but it was also a massive challenge other parts of the time. Um, kept my connection with City Church during that time. Uh, got ordained as an Elam minister uh, along the way uh, whilst doing other things. Um, and also worked for a little while with Evangelical Alliance when Elvie Godin was uh, in Evangelical Alliance. I did a few years on a project with uh, him. Uh, and for the last nearly four years now, so January 2020, remember that little, little season when we were able to go to church and then we all had to stop? Uh, I joined uh, the, uh, to lead uh, the church, the Elim Church in Kapili, which is called Connect Life. And that's where I've been ever since. And so uh, it's a great church and we love, love the people there. So that's kind of where I am now. Well, and it's been really encouraging to hear some of the uh, church unity that's going, been going on, even, in, even yeah. over COVID as well. Do you want to tell us something? Yeah, so, so um, basically, um, in a, being in a very big church like City Church, to be honest with you, you can, you can exist in your own bubble. Uh, and and I, I understood that because there was so much going on, but I, I always really had a heart to try and work across churches. And so when I was in St. Mellon's, a number of churches we used to work together. When I was working with EA, Evangelical, Evangelical Alliance, that was my heart really, was to try and bring churches together. And so when we went to Kipfili, we saw that as an opportunity uh, to be able to begin to work with churches. Of course, everything shut down, so we couldn't even meet in our own church, let alone with other churches. But what we did do is when we opened up, uh, two of the churches were meeting in schools in the Kapili area. One wasn't able to get back into their school, and we'd already built a bit of a friendship with them. And so we said, why don't you meet in our church? And I said, are you, are you okay about that? I said, well, that's fine. We meet at 10.30, you meet at five o'clock. Never the twain shall meet. No, I didn't mean that. Uh, you know, we're not going to bump into each other. Uh, you have our building. So what was supposed to be for a month turned out to be eight months. That was Gateway Church. Uh, but during that time, we built friendships with that church. Uh, we started to do mission together uh, through Message Wales initially. And then we just started to do mission across the different churches. And so for the last two years, we've done big uh, weekend missions uh, based one around the coronation and then around the, uh, sorry, earlier around the Jubilee, then around the coronation. 
For those of you who know your Welsh history, uh, you will uh, know that Caerphilly is not a, very, uh, not a very royal city. And so doing a coronation event on Owen Glyndwr Fields, nonetheless, was uh, quite an interesting challenge. But it was great fun, actually. We, you know, it was really an excuse for the churches to be able to put on a great event for the local community and also to celebrate together. Uh, and so we've got plans now for June next year well, we'll be doing another mission together as local churches. Even last week, uh, 80 of us met together for prayer uh, from across Caerphilly uh, in our building. We've got a lovely building, so it makes it easier for us to do that. Uh, but there's probably about five or six churches gathered together to pray for the different things that are going on across Caerphilly. And it's exciting to see what God is doing yeah. as we work together. Amen, that's great. Amen. Isn't it? What could we, when we think of... If someone thinks of Caerphilly Church or yourselves in the next few weeks, what can we remind, uh, remind ourselves to pray for you guys for? Um, it's lots going on in our, on, in our, our local church personally. Uh, we've got a lot of things we're really pushing out. Uh, uh, and we've started some work in Lansbury Park, which is a small estate uh, in the Caerphilly area. Uh, and we've started with a mums and tots group. Uh, we thought it would kind of grow slowly. Uh, first week was four children. Uh, about two weeks in, it was about 14 children, uh, and last week they had 28 children and more adults, uh, so it was absolutely heaving. Uh, so pray for that, that we can manage that well, because our heart really next year, 2024, is to start a youth work in the same area, uh, in the same community centre. Um, and uh, so it's not very far away from our church, but geographically we recognise that people in communities... In, in those kind of communities may travel to our church, but we want to take church to them. So that's part of what we're doing uh, in Lansbury Park, uh, in Van Community Centre. So if you'd love to pray for that, that would be great. And also this Christmas, we've got another opportunity to work across the churches in the Caerphilly uh, Christmas Fair. We're going to be doing a live nativity where basically we all, adults, all dress up as characters from the nativity story and invite anybody walking past to come and join us. We've got costumes. They come and get dressed up as Mary, Joseph, a donkey, whatever they want to be. They get their picture taken. And then at the end of that afternoon, we're going to do a joint carol service as well. So it's a great opportunity for us as churches to be seen in the local community. Uh, and so you can pray for that on the 2nd of December. That event will happen. Brilliant. That's great. Let's pray for Stephen and those churches now. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in Caerphilly, Lord. We thank you that you love Caerphilly, uh, Lord, that, um, yeah, that, you, that you lived and bled and died for Caerphilly right, and yes, all Lord. those people there, Lord. Mm. Or even just as the, as the castle, Lord, now is being restructured mm. with the scaffolding and um, rebuilding, yes. we just pray, Lord Jesus, for the rebuilding of Caerphilly with the mm. gospel. Amen. Lord, we pray that you will be king of that castle, Lord. Mm. Lord, that you will be the one who upholds the castle Amen. walls. Amen. Lord, you will be the one that it's going to be rebuilt on. Mm. We pray for the churches, Lord. We, that is your prayer, Lord. Your prayer was for unity. Lord, you prayed, Lord, that if we, if we love one another, it shows that, how, that they are my disciples. Mm. My prayer is for my disciples to be one. We just pray, Lord Jesus, for gospel unity among the churches for the different flavors and experiences and and what they look like but lord they will be united on the gospel mm. on on your word and your spirit and lord you will do a new work mm. amongst their lord just pray for steve and the others leaders you protect them 
protect their marriages and their families um, and, and their ministries, Lord. May they serve you selflessly, Lord, and wash people's feet, but also encourage their hearts and lift them up. And yeah, we just pray you just bless Kefili and your spirit will do a new work there through the unity of your churches and for your kingdom's sake, we pray. Amen, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Brilliant. Um, I will warn you in advance, I am an enthusiastic person. Uh, I, go, I go to a church that is quite noisy, okay? So if you feel the urge to say an amen, a hallelujah, or come on, or hurry up, that's okay, all right? Feel free to not just keep it inside your head, express it, okay? Because uh, I'm used to a bit of noise, so if you don't if you sit there very quietly, I'll just think I've done a bad job. So, but it's just okay. It's not about me at the end of the day. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? So, here we go. Uh, we're looking today at, uh, sorry, at Hebrews, Acts, Hebrews chapter 6. And we're looking at the second half of the chapter. Although I didn't notice, Matt, that you left out the first half of the chapter. I read the first half of the chapter, and it was pretty tough stuff in there. So perhaps Matt was thinking, I don't want to preach that. Uh, and I thought, I'm not going to go there, just in case. Uh, but you, you can have a read of it for yourself. Now, the book of Hebrews, as you read through it, um, is quite a tough book to understand. Um, because it's written to primarily a Jewish audience. And I don't know about you, but I'm not Jewish. There may be a few 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 people uh, in the congregation who are today. Uh, and so sometimes when the Hebrew writer is writing, it gets a little bit complicated. So a couple of times today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come out of the New International Version, which I normally used to read from, and I'm going to read for some other versions. Because if, like me, you're reading it, it doesn't make sense, then the best thing to do is read it in another translation so that you can make it make sense or help it to make sense. So what I've called my talk today is hope found in God's promises. You have got a clock on the wall, so that's a good start. Uh, and I should be finished around about quarter to 12. Is that about right for coffee? Is that good or is that too late? Don't say, now's your chance to say quicker, faster. Okay, we'll see how it goes. All right, I'm used to preaching a long time, so I'm going to shorten it for you today. Okay, the hope found in God's promises. And as we read through it together, I'm not going to read the whole passage all in one go, I'm going to read it as I go through and unpack it as I go through, okay? So let's have a little look at verse 11, which is where I'm going to start today. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that you, sorry, so that, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inheritance what inherit what God has promised. Now, I will tell you in advance that reading is not my forte, uh, and as you can see from that there, okay, not usually that bad, but today it's not working, but that's okay. So basically, as we look at this passage together, it refers to the word there, hope may be fully realized. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in a world that needs hope today, don't we? You know, we need hope individually, and we're Christians, and we've got a hope already inside of us, but those outside of the church, those who don't yet know Jesus, they need that hope today. And here in this passage, the writer, he says to us that our hope would be realized. You see, sometimes we can have hope in our hearts because of what Jesus has done for us, 
but we don't realize what the hope that we have. We don't actually live it out. And if we as Christians are not living out, what hope have we got for those who don't yet know Jesus? And so as he goes through this passage, he mentions hope a number of times. So we're going to refer to that uh, verse as we go through, and we're going to refer to that. So for our hope to be realized, the writer says, it's going to take some diligence or effort on our part. This is where some of us want to kind of go, oh, rats. You know, I wish I could just have hope without any hard work. Now, we need to recognize also that, you know, our confidence in what Jesus has done for us is not based on our diligence and hard work. That is a gift of God that God has given to us. But in order to realize the hope that God wants us to have in our lives, it might take some effort and diligence on our part. And as we read through this passage, we see that that is the case. Now, over the last number of months in our church, uh, well, uh, probably for about the last nine months, I've been working on a project to do with our buildings in the church, okay? Because you have to do everything when you're a pastor, don't you? So, so basically, we have a, a bit, two bits to our building, one of which is a pitched roof. The other bit is a flat roof that was built in the 1980s. It's corrugated metal. If, you, if you're in Kapili, you can see it. Uh, if you go up to Kapili Mountain, you can see it. Uh, and so we had this plan to change the roof. We knew we were going to get some money. And so we thought this is a good opportunity to get that roof redone. So we get the building quotes in, we get some ideas. I talk to our Elim charity because we're part of a big charity, so we can't just do what we like. The charity come back to me and say, good news, it's going to cost you less than £25,000 because I've got a good quote. Uh, so you don't need to refer to us to get it done. You can get the work done. So I thought, oh, fantastic. So I found a contractor. I found the guy. He was, wasn't going to take the current roof off. He was going to reclad over the top. He said, I do this all the time with industrial buildings. I'm going, great. That is good news. But then, of course, after we all, all this is organized, our Elim charity come back to us and go, oh, and by the way, you might want to consider the following. And they give me about six things I'm supposed to have done, none of which I had. You know, this, 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 this. I go in, hang on a minute. I had my hope set on this. It's all ready to go. The guy's ready to do the work. He's given me a really good quote. And now you're coming back. And my hope is de being deferred. For those of you who know in the Bible, there's a verse about hope deferred. It makes the heart sad. I'm thinking I've done all of this work. And now I've got to go back to the drawing board because I've got to get all these other things done. Now, what they were asking me to do, actually, were very useful and practical things. And so I had to put some diligence and effort in before I could see the hope being realized in having a new roof on our building. And so I got to work. In fact, I got someone else to help me as well from our church who was newly come to our church with some great skills. And I said, could you help me to get this done? So there were surveys to do. There was building regulations that were, were required. And so the, the, all of that needed to be done. Now, the good news is that all being well, my deferred hope will become a reality in about a week and a half's time. We've got a bit of scaffolding on the side of the building, which tells me the builder is obviously on the job. Uh, he's been up on the roof measuring all of his bits. Uh, and so basically, hopefully on a week on Monday, they will start the work. It's only going to take them three days to do the whole roof. And it's a big roof. Uh, so they know what they're doing, these guys. They move very fast. But, you know, in the same way in our lives, 
We can have hope for things to happen. So some of you might have a dream. You might have a, a plan that you feel like God is asking you to do. And it's sometimes it feels like, hang on a minute. Where did all these other bits come into this dream? You know, I want to see my, my, uh, my neighbors come to Jesus. Or I, I want to get this new job. And, a, and, a, and in order to get that new job, you suddenly realize you're going to need some more qualifications. You're going to need to do some more training. And in the same way in our Christian lives, we need to recognize that hope is there to, that we can hold on to. But there's diligence that's needed and effort on our parts. And as I've already mentioned, only God can save us. That's through Jesus. But we partner with him to inherit what has been promised to us. You see, our salvation is 100% based on Jesus and what he has done for us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it, which is good news for everybody in this room that we don't have to do that. But in order for the hope to be fulfilled in our lives, we need to be diligent and work with God to inherit what he wants us to promise. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but God swears. Did you know that? I thought at this point some of you might throw me out of your church, but it is in a passage, so hopefully you're going to stick with me. But God does swear, okay? Uh, I'm not going to swear for you today. Uh, You'll be pleased to know. Although I have heard some preachers do that, but it's not in my uh, vocabulary. I don't tend to use that uh, tactic. But it says here that God is a God who swears. Now, he doesn't swear like someone who gets annoyed, so you'd be pleased to know that. But he does swear. And we see that in the passage as we're going to unpack it together. So let's have a little look at verse 13, shall we? When God made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. Now, some of you might be thinking, what on earth is that on about? You know, Have you ever heard people say, uh, I've I've heard it before, I swear on my mother's life. You can almost guarantee they're they're lying at that point, you know. I don't know what it is about that phrase. I'm going, you poor mum, you know, why do you have to swear on her life, you know. (laughs) But, but, you know, some of us swear that we're telling the truth. When you go to a court of law, they ask you, don't they? I swear by almighty God to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I don't know what they're doing these days with everybody being an atheist. They must have a new way of doing it. But basically... um, There's different ways that we use swearing in our vocabulary in a good way. But, you know, in this passage here, it says that he swore on on, on himself. In other words, he made a promise based on who he was. Because there was no one greater that he could make the promise on. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. And so God is a God who makes and he keeps promises. He goes on to say then, when God made the promise to Abraham, sorry, this is in the good news version of the Bible now, just in case we didn't get it in the NIV. When God made a promise to Abraham, he made a vow to do what he had promised. Since there was no one greater than himself, he used his own name when he made his vow. It's kind of like being a guarantor. You know, a number of years ago, my daughter moved into a flat in London. She was renting it with some friends as a student. And, and, and the bank of dad had to come into place here because she didn't have any money. So the person who owned the house was not that interested in the fact that my daughter wanted to rent it. She was interested in, have you got a guarantee, guarantor who can guarantee you this, this rental? 
And so I get the form, I have to fill it in because I've got more money than her, not that I've got very much, she's probably got more money than me now, <laughs> that was a few years ago. And so basically, I was the guarantor. I guaranteed that what she had set, set herself up for in terms of the payments, if she couldn't make the payment anymore, dad had to step in or mum had to step in and pay the bills. And in the same way, we have a God who's a guarantor. And his guarantee is firm. His promises are true. You see, God is a God who is a promise keeper. Sorry, I think there was a, another slide there. Let me go back. Did I go too far there? There we go. Oh, there's another bit to that slide. It's okay, don't worry. God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises to each one of us. And then we, as we get to verse 14, it says, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Now, remember what the Hebrew writer is saying here is he made a promise to Abraham. And his promise to Abraham was surely I will bless you and give you many de descendants. Now, God made the promise, and many of you will know this story, but it took an awful long time for that promise to be fulfilled. And the writer recognizes this when he says in verse 15, he says, so after waiting patiently, I'm not too sure about that part, actually, he was quite impatient at times, but the Hebrew writer's being kind to Abraham at that moment. He says, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. You see, again, God is a promise keeper, but sometimes we need a bit of patience. Reminds me of a, 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 a situation where a Sunday school decided they would teach on the fruit of the Spirit. And at the end of their series of fruit of the Spirit, they decided that what they would do is get all their Sunday school teachers to come into the room, stand around the room, and say to the children, we've just been learning about the fruit of the Spirit. What we want you to do now is go to one of the teachers, and they will pray for you that you receive that fruit. So kindness or goodness or whatever it might be. And so all the children went around the room and they could go to more than one person, but they all had to start off in one queue. And so they're all queuing around the different teachers. And one of the other guys who didn't have many people in his queue noticed that there was one boy who joined the queue. And then after a few minutes, he left the queue and he come and came and walked over to what was a shorter queue in front of this other teacher. And he said to the boy, he said, hang on a minute. I, I noticed you stood in that queue over there. Um, how come you've come over to my queue now rather than getting to the front of the queue? He said, oh, I, I couldn't wait that long. It was, a, it was a very long queue. He said, what was the queue for? It was, a, it was for the gift of patience, he said. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes in our lives, we're a bit like that when it comes to God. Because God has made promises to us. But in order for those promises to be fulfilled, we've got to be patient. So like with my roof situation, I could have gone, oh, forget this. I can't be bothered. Or I could have had endurance and got on with all the other bits that have been asked of me to do in order for the, the work to be done. And then hopefully I'm going to see the promise fulfilled of a new roof on our building. And in our lives, God is calling us to be patient because God doesn't always answer our prayers as quickly as we might uh, think. You see, God is a promise keeper. He's not a vending machine. It's not pray to God today and tomorrow the prayer is answered. That might happen and sometimes does happen, but other times God is saying the answer is wait. It's not no, 
It's not yes, yet, but it's wait. Be patient and I will answer your prayer. And you know, God, God is very interested in growing our character, not just answering our prayers. He wants to grow us to be more like Jesus. He wants us to grow us to be more like him. And so sometimes that takes effort on our part, but God has made the promise like he did to Abraham, I will bless him and I will give him many descendants. God was going to keep the promise that he made, but it was going to take patience on Abraham's part. Then we get to verse 16 and 17. If you thought some of the others were a bit complicated, let's try reading this one. People swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Okay, so far so good. That's not too bad, is it? I think most of us can grasp what that is talking about there. But basically, God has made many promises to us. He has made many promises through his word. But we're not going to know what those promises are unless we learn what God's word says. That's why it's important for us to read God's word. You know, uh, I've, I've renamed uh, Nikki Gumbel's Bible in One Year app. I've renamed it because I listen to it as well as reading it. And I've always got one of my wireless headphones in my ear, so I'm calling it the Bible in one ear. Okay, hopefully it's not coming out the other. All right, so the plan is that when it goes in my one ear, it will stay there and not just come out the other ear. But in order for the word of God to go into our lives, we've got to take it in. Whether that be audibly through listening to it or visually by reading it, we need to get a hold of God's promises. Because God's promises are true, and, but we need to take hold of those. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose clear to us, he has confirmed it with an oath. He has confirmed in his word the promises that he has made to us. And then in verse 18 it says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to him take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Now, I read that verse about five times, and I thought, I don't understand what that means. And I'm thinking, I'm the, minute, I'm the preacher. I better understand what it means before I get there. Because I was thinking, two unchangeable things. So I was thinking, what are the two unchangeable things? Have I missed something? Now, some of you really clever are going to go, of course you have, Steve. The two unchangeable things are this and this, okay? And then it says, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. I'm going, when did we fled? When did we flee to take hold? I, 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 have I missed this part of the passage here, you know? And again, sometimes when you're reading a passage, if, it do, if you don't quite understand what it means, sometimes it's okay, just keep moving. I often say that to new Christians because you can't understand everything in the Bible first time round. But I'm thinking, I'm preaching on this. I better understand what it says. So I thought, okay, let's have a look at another version of the Bible. See if it makes it a bit more sense to me. New Living Translation came to my rescue, you'll be pleased to know. So God has given both his promise and his oath. Okay, so that's the two unchangeable things. God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge. Oh, why didn't they put that in the NIV? That would help me. Okay, fled to him for refuge 
can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. So now it begins to make sense to me. Because I'm reading it and I'm going, okay, what are God's two uh, unchangeable promises. Well, the first is that he's made a promise and an oath. They're kind of the same thing twice, really. But it's like God reconfirming what he said. He promised to Abraham. He made an oath to Abraham. In the same way, God has made promises to us and oaths to us that he will not break. They're unchangeable. We can trust him. But then also, we can flee to God who is our refuge. And again, that begins to make sense to me because I'm thinking, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is our refuge. He is the refuge and strength. He's the one that we can go to in whatever situation we face. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge and can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Those are three great words, aren't they, in that, in that verse there. Jesus is the one that we go to. He is the one who is our answer. He is the one who is our savior. He is our strong tower. He is our fortress. These are all verses from the Bible, just in case you think I'm making them up. They're all things that the Bible says are true about Jesus. But then we can have great confidence. We can have confidence in what Jesus has done for us. And as a result of that confidence, then we have hope. So our hope is not just based on something that's nebulous. Uh, or unseen but our confidence is based on the fact that we have a confidence in what Jesus has done for us and as a result of that we can have hope in him and that word there hope is a really important word isn't it as we remind ourselves that we have a hope that is steadfast and certain it says in the book of Psalms um there was a guy who wrote a hymn. His name was Edward Motes. And you'll all, many of you will know the hymn if you've been around church for any length of time. It's the words of the hymn are this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I oh, haven't got it on there. So my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And in this next verse, in verse 19, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure as we enter the sanctuary behind the curtain. Now again, as the writer of Hebrews is talking here, he's using Jewish uh, sort of pictures here. The curtain is the curtain in the temple. I know many of you will already know this, but I always work on the assumption, explain it to people because they don't always understand. Like a, a guy who I knew in, uh, in City Church, he came up to the, me at one of the end of one of the services. He said, Steve, what's this song we're singing in church at the moment about Jesus leaving the 99? I said, have you not heard the parable of the lost sheep and the 99? He said, no, I've never heard it in my life. I thought we were singing about ice creams. You see, so sometimes you've got to clarify, otherwise people don't understand. So it's better, if you already know what it means, it's better that I clarify to you. So the curtain was a curtain in the temple that when Jesus died, the, the Bible says that it was torn from top to bottom. Notice it's top to bottom, not bottom to top. It was God who was tearing the curtain. He was The separation between us and God, which was represented by the holiest of holies in the temple of God, was being broken down as Jesus died upon that cross for you and for me. Going back to my song, 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Edward Mote was a carpenter. He wasn't a preacher. He did become a preacher later on. He was a carpenter when one day he went home from church and he decided to write some words, some, some words of a poem. It later became a hymn. And these were the words that he wrote. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And then the chorus or the, 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 the stanza of the, the, the verse that he wrote is, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. After he'd written it, I think on the same day actually, he went to visit a minister's wife who was dying. And they were looking for a verse in the Bible which talked about hope and talked about, you know, our confidence in God. And they, they were struggling a bit. And so Edward said, oh, well, I've got this verse. It's based on Bible. Shall I read it for you? And he read to this lady these verses. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And he went on to say, on Christ the solid rock I stand. And here in the midst of this lady, I think she, she passed away soon afterwards, but she had a confidence, she had a hope. Her hope and her confidence were in Jesus, that he was in control of this whole situation. And so as we, as Christians, carry that hope with us into a world which needs hope today, if there's anything that our world needs today more than anything else, is hope. And Jesus is our hope. We have a confidence today because of what he's done, but we can share that with others. And then it goes on in verse 20, you'll be pleased, this is the last verse in the passage, where it says, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He's the one who's gone through that curtain. He's the one who's made the way for us. You know, in the song where it says, Christ has made the way where there seems to be no way. God has made a way for each one of us into his presence. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I think you're going to look at him next week. So I'm not going to even go there today. I'm not going to take away that one from you. But, you know, as we think about it, we think today that Jesus has made a way for us. And we have a hope today. We have a confidence today. You might be going through difficult situations. I got some really difficult situations in church at the moment with people who are seriously ill. And, you know, the great news is that in, in almost all of those cases, I know that they have a hope and a confidence in God. Yeah, we're praying for a miracle. We hope that that will happen. But I also recognize that people die. This is one of the challenges in my church at the moment, you know, where we're praying for miracles to happen. I'm also saying to people, yeah, God does do miracles and we want to pray that miracles happen. But we also recognize that every single one of us is going to pass from this life to the next if Jesus doesn't return before that happens. But we can have a hope. We can have a confidence that God is the forerunner. Jesus is the forerunner. And, you know, I don't know your church, so I'm just going to work on the assumption that perhaps... Most of you are Christians today, but there might be someone in this building who doesn't yet know that hope in their life. You know, it's a fantastic uh, opportunity to share with you the fact that Jesus can be your hope today. You might be looking for answers in your life today, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. You can come to Jesus and you can bring your heart to him today. I've got a little leaflet here that you can have at the end. It's just very simply, we use this when we talk to people that we meet. It just says four things. It reminds us that God loves you, 
that we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned, the Bible calls that. But that Jesus died for us. And that gives us with it an opportunity to make a choice. We can choose for ourselves whether we accept this free gift that God has given to us so that we too can know this hope in our life. And if you've never done that, I would just encourage you today, even before you go home, find someone you can talk to. Talk to me if you like. I'll be hanging around for a little while at the end. I'm happy to give you one of those leaflets for you to read. And you too can have that confidence and that hope in God. I'm going to pray as we close my part of the time together. And so I hope that you have benefited from what I've said today. But more importantly, that you would be able to take hold of that hope that is found in Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for your amazing love to us. Lord, we thank you today that those of us who are Christians in this room, those of us who have become Jesus followers, that we have a hope today. A hope that is steadfast and certain. Lord, it's not dependent on our own ability. Lord, it's not dependent on whether we've done well this week or done badly this week. Because basically our confidence is in what you have done for us. That you gave your life for us 2,000 years ago on that cross. You took upon yourself the sins of the world. You made it possible for us to come into a relationship with a loving God. And so I pray for anybody in this room who may not have made that decision or that move towards you. That they too would make that step towards you today. And that they would realize that you're a God who keeps your promises. You regard that when you say that you will do something, that you will do it. And in your word, it says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I pray, Lord God, that we would be able to call upon your name today, recognizing that you are our savior and you are our Lord. And for those of us who already know that, that we would take hold of that afresh, that you are our strong tower, you are our refuge, you are the one that we can come to in our time of trouble. And we recognize, Lord God, that you're with us, whatever the situation, even in the waiting, that you're there with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.